0: Another thing, just, just to help you um, in the way you receive this We are not looking uh, to lay out a systematic theology Of who or what is Israel Who or what is the church uh, Who's the bridegroom, who's the bride Who are the companions of the bride Who are the ten virgins uh, we're, not, yeah, we're not looking to spell everything out So you've got the doctrine nailed Nailing doctrine accomplishes nothing Knowing him in a deeper way that transforms you is really what we're looking for. So if that's what you're thinking you're going to get, uh, you're going to be sorely disappointed. And that's not what we want to do around the tables either. Okay? So um, not systematic theology, and there is grace in here for us all, not necessarily carrying the same thing just yet. So I don't know. Maybe I should shut up because I could talk about this all night. So uh, let's. Uh, how about uh, invite up? Um, invite up, Curtis. So, uh kick us off. Good times. All right. This water is for you. It's quite hot here.
1: You open a window. Hi, everyone. Um Wow. uh What a great turnout. Maybe the bride's bigger than I think um, i sure uh, I sure hope we're um, uh, I sure hope we're not here to argue theology because this is not going to be a trip on theology. There are some theological challenges that all of us um, are just going to have, okay, but if we miss the point of why we've gathered here tonight um, and even if we can win or think we can win our view on anything. Um, And that comes at the expense of what I'm seeing in front of me tonight. Um, I think we've probably missed it as a fellowship. I think the reason why we see the gathering we have here tonight is because the Lord is doing a work in a lot of people's lives right now. And it's not just Curtis Reed or it's not just such and such or Greg or whatnot. There are things that are starting to happen here in the fellowship. Um, which are shaking the foundations and and walks that many of us us have had for years and I don't know about you but I think I needed a shake in my walk going back a few years ago and in fact if I hadn't got it um, I wouldn't even be sharing with you tonight or would even care to we have um, before us an incredible journey ahead of us um, for whatever time we've got left and I don't know about you, but I'd rather know truth than win my theological arguments. Is that fair? There was once a time in my life where I think winning the argument and demonstrating the knowledge uh, fed pride. But I don't know if it produced fruit. And I think I'd rather be involved with a fellowship that, the Lord is actually working with the grounds being tilled and we actually see some fruit from the, is that fair so um, as we look at this uh, there will be a few challenges here I've got some setup slides here that I just want to look at but again I reiterate this at nauseam. this is the why of the series would everybody agree that if we don't accomplish this in our walk in our short little lives here on earth what's the point Can you think of anything you would put actually ahead of that when you stand before him? It was the reason why uh, Yeshua um, answered the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Scribe, and they are having him up. And it was truly the reason why. They were asking him, what's the greatest? What's this all about? He didn't lie. He gave him the answer. And they knew in their heads that he had answered correctly in fact they told him so in that moment but he was quoting from Deuteronomy 6 some people would know that as the Torah the first five books of Moses some don't they think he was just saying this on the spot and he was actually literally giving them a foundation that had gone back thousands of years before that why did he answer that way he could have said it in a lot of ways, but he quoted back to them the very words of God. Sometimes to know why we're doing something, it can be good to go to not just the alpha at the beginning, but the omega the end. This is how it finishes. This is the book of Revelation. The revelation of who? Yeah, I don't think I have my scriptures right here, by the way. Um... Is it right? Oh, wow. Well, okay. Um, <laughs> well, I keep trying. I keep telling everybody I'm trying not to memorize verse in Scripture anymore because it makes me have to read the whole book. But you can't teach that way, of course, so I'm going to do it this way. But um, isn't that fascinating? This is how it ends. Does anybody think that that's something you want to know about? If this is how this picture ends? Is that fair? If my theology prevents me from even caring or looking into this, is it possible that that could be in the adversary's best interest? If somebody was coming along to your spouse-to-be and was telling them not to worry about their marriage, how would you feel about that? You're about to get married to him or her. And there's somebody in their ear going, don't worry about it. And you found out about it. What would you think? Ladies? What would you think if another woman was coming along and whispering in your husband to his ears, oh, don't worry about the wedding, big deal. Yeah. You see, we would vehemently in the flesh take that position on. Yet spiritually, which is the weightier matter, somehow we're comfortable with that. And Again, as Clay was relating to out of Ephesians This is the great mystery But I speak of Christ and the church This mystery was revealed to Paul The Sadducee of Sadducees This man could quote Books of the Bible um, verbatim We would all feel really silly Just spending an hour, I'm sure, with Paul Of just what we think we know of in the scriptures This man was about To take on the Sanhedrin the worshiping entity of representing the true God of Isaac, Abraham, and Jacob. The one he had grown up in and the one that he had been esteemed by. And now he was about to face them with a very different message. You've missed the boat. You imagine telling that we, th- we live in our environment here and we know what we go through. But this is serious. They were deciding how Israel was governed. Big difference So he knows things at a level and What it feels like to deal with this message uh, Probably to a greater degree Than any of us would So we're going to look at some of his words tonight Because I think they're pretty valuable To hear from somebody who knows about this journey better than us Would that be fair? Okay Before we keep going Here's something I hopefully we can all agree on These are the words Paul For in Christ, Jesus, you are the sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, or Messiah. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free, nor male nor female. For you are all one in Messiah. Is there any way around this? Because if this in your own heart is an issue, you must put it before him. Whether we are Jew, whether we are Greek, whatever philosophical, theological view we're going to come from, this is either truth or it is not. There is one way. There is only one way. And we just need to understand then, how are we to view his way, his truth, that we may have his life. Interesting, though, I'm just going to back up here for a second, actually. Interesting, though, what he does link it to. And Paul does this quite considerably. I'm going to do this in a number. He links it to what? The promises that were to Abraham's offspring. Does anybody know who one of Abraham's offspring was? Do you remember a guy named Jacob? Do you remember what Jacob got called in the end? Hmm. Okay. None of us have the right... To throw rocks at one another from our theological temples, run away gossip or become divisive amongst each other. No one. Our behavior will be held to account more than our knowledge when this is over. You understand? We can come before the Lord and go, "I got it right, Lord." And you'll go, "But how did you treat that which I love and bought?" Interesting. You mean that I could be right and become a divisive vessel amongst the body of Christ. You better believe it. You don't just have to be wrong to do that. Our behavior will be first and foremost before any theological position you think you can put before the throne. Think of you as parents that are in here if the kids come to you and they got it right but their behavior is appalling. Which one do you focus on in the moment? We have this all playing out in the physical typology we've been given. This thing we call life that we may figure out the way to your matters. And you only need go to your family dynamics to understand a lot of the truth you're reading in Scripture. Walking and contending together in His truth. When we do this, if we don't do it in love, we don't. if we're not to walk together and submitting ourselves into a discipleship environment, just as He patterned, then we are trying to do it whose way? He patterned doing this. He didn't have to. Was there anything that Yeshua had a problem understanding regarding the mysteries and the understanding of his father and who he was and his wisdom? Nothing. Yet he lived this environment with those that had many different and varying theological views. Some which were going to be used to betray him and to deny him because they could not let go of those views. If we're going to do this, If we're truly going to do this, let's do it as he patterned. He put up with a lot. And I think we need to give ourselves the same amnesty, one with another, right? If we do this in his truth, and we do this in a mature and accountable environment, based on his word, not our opinions. Now, we can have an opinion about his word, but his word says what it says. So we can bring all our opinions to the party in something called discipleship, and then everybody starts to vomit in the soil, don't they? You just see everybody's theological lemon just come spewing out. But you know what that does? It actually fertilizes the ground. It's quite interesting. If you're willing to walk this through, if you really are, you're going to find that there's a living water that starts to fuel this tilled ground, this fertilized ground, and out of it comes this beautiful tree, and that tree will eventually bear fruit. So simple but one of the biggest things missing right now from modern day Christianity is a process called discipleship oh I'll make one more point here by the way it's only the darkness in us that scatters from his light and it is only the wicked it sounds a bit harsh in English but only those who have got something to hide would none pursue (laughs) (laughs) Okay, our journey to know him. (laughs) A savior, a messiah. This is an infancy. We are born again, right? What's the first way we all get to know him or think of him? It's an infancy position. It's just the starting gun. You've been born. You're a baby. But we want to move on from that. And we start to learn to see him as a father, don't we? A child-like perspective. But there's somebody in the Bible that encourages us over and over and over again to mature to the fullness. There's a time to get off the milk and start e- stop eating the child's food. Is this very important? Well, if you try and move on to this one and you don't have that, it's impossible, isn't it? Well, try and move on to this one without having that one. You see, I can't learn submission. What were those words? Wives learn to submit to your husband. Isn't that interesting? Terrible word in modern world, isn't it? Submit. We had all sorts of connotations. But the reality of it is, is he's trying to show that we're a typology, everything going on, of his church, his bride, learning to submit to him. So we start to understand this kingship. This is the one... That is very rarely dealt with within the body of Christ. It doesn't matter what theology position you come from. This is the most rare of them all. We tend not to gather as a body right across the world in any theological position and actually discuss this one. I've actually had people in me over the years go, as a groom, what? Imagine that from a guy's perspective. It's easy for, you know, the women, they can kind of gravitate, okay, all right, that sounds interesting enough, I'll have a look. Guys are like, what the heck? What are you talking about? Because the guys, we kind of struggle with this thing here called intimacy. It doesn't mean we can't be intimate, we're not intimate in our own way. But there's a side, the journey for the male side of this that actually has to really learn things from another perspective. That I think the ladies get from an internal design quicker and better than we do. But there are elements of this journey that the male side gets quicker and better and easier. than the, So you kind of realize that if you enter into an earthly marriage covenant, you kind of got to figure this out. You're going to have to need each other to get through to get and allow the revelation of your own life to start to reveal this process. This is the one that we're actually discussing as a fellowship. Does anybody find that incredible? How did we get here? Like, how did that happen? You came here tonight knowing we were going to talk about the bride of Christ. Why? You all got Sunday evenings? I mean, I'm sure there's something on television you're missing you want to see. (laughs) Do we care? The answer is... There is something in us that is wanting to know the greater reality of the soul. It is, and I'm going to make a real statement here, big statement. And this statement, I want you to really just think about over the next five weeks. I'm not saying whether the statement's truth or untruth. I'm just going to make it, and you contend with this. It is impossible to understand the fullness of his plan of salvation and Bible prophecy as it relates to it. Without a true definition of what Israel and a Hebrew marriage covenant perspective. If you do not have these two things sorted out in your journey, I'm making the bold statement that it's impossible. You can have a position and you can see in part, but if we don't get into this, there's a lot of things in Scripture that we're going to start entertaining because somebody else or some Christian superstar, somebody's put out the next book or DVD or whatever it is, has got something to say on a matter that you, quite frankly, don't understand. So you'll listen to them. This is what I mean by Christian Talmud. If I can redefine Israel, if I can convince you this is a piece of dirt and only Jewish insignificance, then I'm going to be able to start playing games with you regarding Scripture. If I can then get you to discount the Old Testament as a whole, except for a few select bits, prophecy and lip service, how many here have really been into their Old Testament in your walk? It's pretty minimal, right across the body. Yet yeah, this is the foundation of our faith. Do you realize that the New Testament is a record of something that was going down? What we call the New Testament was actually a record of the promises and what was being um, foretold from what we call the Old Testament. But we have taken the New Testament and have redefined it with all sorts of stuff, not even knowing what it was actually taking a photograph of. then I can start to completely miss, redefine, and discard this whole thing called the marriage covenant. Basically take you to a lip service perspective of it. Everybody's heard, oh, we're the bride of Christ, right? How much did you know or really think about beyond that? Well, I'm saved, I'm the bride. That's a general position, it's a fair enough one. It's what we've, most of us, anyway, would have grown up doing. I know I certainly did. In my fires, I started to realize that I was actually adopting, because I had uh, a biblical and prophetic uh, interest in Scripture, and so I was gaining a lot of knowledge. I didn't realize that my knowledge was actually dispensational-based. I started to eventually realize what it was, the theological or systematic theology I was following. But basically what it was leading me into was a political view of Scripture and not a biblical one. Now, that was hard for me to really, really grasp, but I'm going to try and just put this down in real quick terms. We are indebted, because I'm about to say some things tonight that are going to really upset some people with certain theological views, so I want this very clear. We are indebted to Judah, who we call Jews, in many ways. And in fact, I don't speak about some of the things tonight unless they had preserved what they had preserved. Does everybody understand that? The wrongs of a political system does not mean we do not support our Jewish brothers and sisters. Do we understand that? There are things going on right now in the world that we know are inherently wrong. But does that mean we're against the Jewish people as a result? No. In 1948, the modern state of Israel was formed politically in the Middle East. God allowed this. Now that makes for some interesting discussions. We can't have them tonight, but we need to understand... That the political entity that formed the modern state of Israel was not representing God. They did not care what was in scripture and they took a name which they were not entitled to give it. Now, this is something interesting. The United Nations either is standing for God right now on this earth or it is against Him. You take your pick. You want to understand the history of the United Nations, it's going to get very interesting. Go do your own homework on this. But this is what started to define this. And that was born out of something called the CFR, the United Nations was, which is the Council on Foreign Relations. The symbol of actually the United Nations is a Stephanus. And actually, the symbol of the CFR is a white horse. The very thing warned about in one of the seals, actually, biblically, is the rider of this horse is wearing a Stephanus, a crown, a sheaf. And it will come to try and bring priests to the earth. And try and conquer without a weapon. God is working and allowing all of this, yes. And in fact, there was a Six Day War. Everybody here, the Six Day War? Okay, some incredible miracles were going on uh, for the Jewish people during this time. Has anybody here been to Israel? The modern state of Israel, I should say? All right, so have I. Um, fantastic place to visit. I've got many good Jewish friends. Um, Love so much of what god is doing because he's revealing as a part of this all being there We're finding archaeological finds all sorts of things. So is god working in all of this? Absolutely. He is But we just got to be very careful about what sort of how we're viewing this because if I think israel is a country When you we think of in the west don't we new zealand is what? a country you are therefore then a New zealander in the east your identity is not given that way. So it would be like the way that it would be similar for you to understand in the East is if I went, if you went to visit me at my property, would you say, Oh, I've arrived at Curtis? You'd say, I've arrived at the property of the Reeds. You see, we still retain it at this basic level, but at a national identity level, we've lost this. We actually operated a different spectrum. This is not the case in the East. So it is very, very unusual for us to to, uh, think biblically when we're reading. We have a Western mindset, so immediately New Zealand, New Zealander. Israel, Israelite, right? We we make that link. But I'm going to challenge you to a few things tonight. He's allowing Islam and its ideologies to be at work. Yes. How do I know God's doing that? We'll turn on the news. Could God stop any of this right now? Can God stop anything we're seeing on the news right now? regarding Islam see we're not going to dethrone him he can end it all tomorrow if he wants why is he allowing it you see we need to really grasp what's happening here do you know I stood with some Christians and they, I remember them staring at the dome of the rock the Islamic sitting on the temple mount and I'll never forget this and because their theology was Israel is a piece of dirt this thing was against God do you want to know something If that dome of the rock was not there, what would the Jewish people have been doing since they've been back in the land since 1948? Sacrificing animals. Do you think sacrificing animals which would trample on the very blood that bought us be something pleasing in our Lord's eyes? Do you think that's the message He wants to send right now? Is it possible that God is using the enemies of Israel to serve a point and to make a positional stand? Is there anywhere in Scripture that shows us he operates that way? The whole thing. Interesting. But if we had our way, what would we do with the Dome of the Rock? We'll go blow it up. We'll go get rid of it. There you go, I did. As if God couldn't. Do you, do you see, if we take control of this, we could miss a bigger picture. God is usually, if you really want to witness to a Muslim, thank them for how they are fulfilling God's plan in trying to get a message across to the house of Judah. Now now you're going to be actually being able to witness to a Muslim. I'm not sure how much they'll like that, but nonetheless. Let us not be fooled. Many things are happening on all sides that God is not pleased with, okay? The state of Israel did it, therefore God is always pleased. Is that correct? No. See, we just need to understand this difference between Judah what God says Israel is, and sometimes what we're seeing play out on the news. We don't have to be um, we don't have to be involved with trying to be involved with uh, necessarily agreeing with all the politics. Here's the land promised, scripturally. By the way, that little bit there is just this little bit here. So give you an idea, just how much is promised scripturally, as a land promised to Israel. Pretty big this is the bit right now that the UN has given it. I'd suggest to you that that's not the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. (laughs) But I suggest to you when he returns, we're going to see the fulfillment exactly as the scripture says. So what are we witnessing right now? We're witnessing God allowing something, preparing for something for his coming. But let's not confuse it with some of the uh, the statements that are coming through, then Yeshua said to the Jews which believed on him. So these are now in the Messianic camp; they're actually believing. He says who he says he is. If you continue in my what, then you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. This is a journey. We have a choice. We listen to all the scholars or we trust the Holy Spirit and get into discipleship? Which one do you want to do? You're running out of time. I promise you, the Holy Spirit can work through you and show you and reveal in His Word if you do it His way as much as any so-called scholar or says they're a scholar or thinks what they are on the face of the earth. You just have to allow it. He will show you. Walk it. Contend together. It's okay. It's okay. It's way more simpler than you think. We have muddied the waters. For the time will come when we will not tolerate sound doctrine, but after their lust they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They shall turn away their ears from the truth, and they shall be turned unto fables. This is speaking about the believers. So there's a time when we're going to get to such a place, and this is concerning the, the the end times, that apparently, the body's going to get to such a degree that we just want to have people tell us what we want to hear. And we'll be demanding it. I call it the magician's other hand. Here's some things to think about as we finish off this session. Jew equals the whole house of Israel. I've got question mark. Really? Is that actually what's in Scripture? It's what we've been taught because we've all inherited a little bit of dispensationalism. I'll explain that in a second. Israel is a piece of dirt as well. Is it? Why can't I find anywhere in Scripture where Israel is a piece of dirt or land? But I will find you over and over and over and over again a land promised to Israel. Big Difference. If I make the promise The actual living entity And my focus becomes Now on something that's not living You can get me to do Whatever politics you want me to do The church was birthed At Pentecost and Shavuot Aren't we told that? Is that what scripture is actually saying? There is very much a record Of something that went down at Pentecost But we need to understand what it is Again we're told this Is that truth? The church and Israel are separate entities. Have you ever heard that? Is it truth? I have challenged people I have walked with. I had to do this myself. I was a dispensationalist, by the way. I'm going to explain that for a sec. I know it very well. And I got smacked very seriously over a number of years in my life in some serious fire to actually be bothered looking at this. But I want to tell you this much. I read Scripture and I know there is one body not bodies. So something's going on in here, and this is just one example because we're speaking around this thing Israel. Some of you might still be going, well, why is this so important? What's it got to do with the bride? Well, if I told you that the bride could only be chosen from Israel and Israel wasn't a piece of dirt, would you start to be interested? If you think Israel's this political thing going on in the Middle East right now and you have no identity that it actually could be something that God's wanting you to do in your heart that can actually link back to a chosen bride. Now would it become interesting? question is, is that what Scripture is saying? If you want to spot the devil, here's a little trick, and and always remember this. It will be the opposite or reverse of biblical truth. It's not clever. There's rules that the adversary has to play by. So if you're ever questioning whether something is truth or untruth, look at the reverse of it and then go to scripture and, go and find which one is supported not by what you're being told but actually look at the opposite view and now go to scripture and let the word show you which one is the truth it's a simple process and it works this is an axe this is interesting We've got Timothy here. This is Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from, um, from your brothers. Listen to this. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness. Who's the one? Yeah. With the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai with our fathers, he received living oracles to give to us. Our fathers refused to obey him and thrust him aside, and their hearts were turned to Egypt or back to Babylon. Now, this is interesting. He is identifying to the church today, what's he linking us with? The exact same people at Mount Sinai. What's going on? I was told that, well, is there even a mention of the church? In the Old Testament, I really believed that. I didn't understand, though, what I was reading from purely an English perspective. I just want to share with you something here. This will make it interesting, your journeys, when you're moving forward. Ecclesia is known as the congregation of the church. It's known as the called-out people. We get that in Greek? Ecclesia, the church, everybody, most people know that, right? Very few people know that the equivalent word, kahal, is the congregation of the church, the called-out people in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew. Very few know this one. Now, we know Israel are called out people. We all kind of know that. This is the one we don't get. Do you know the Septuagint translations of what we call uh, the Bible today that made its way into Greek? There was 70 Hebrew scholars translating the Hebrew into Greek. Do you know the exact word they used every time they were translating the church or congregation? Guess what word that they were looking at in Hebrew to, to write ecclesia. When you do this look, you'll know that maybe sometimes the English is a little bit of a challenge. The church, as defined by the New Testament, is all over the Old Testament. But you won't know this if we just understand it from an English perspective or if you've thrown out your Old Testament altogether. Is it possible that the church, Israel, in God's eyes, is... in? is the church in God's eyes and his plan of salvation. Is that actually possible? This is the question that I'm going to raise to finish off the evening. I'm going to go past that one. That's a warning against the simplicity of all this, but here's what we got caught up in. Not going to get into this, but apparently Paul's warning that we're going to be deceived from the simplicity that is found in Messiah. This is what we now entertain in the body of Christ 30,000 denominations later. And apparently... A marriage covenant is somehow complicating the issue, but this is your choice. I can tell you which one is reeking the simplicity and the fullness of his gospel, and it isn't this. I am well, unfortunately, well-versed in biblical hermeneutics and eschatology. I'm not proud of it. There once was day, a stay time when I was. And I can talk at these at nauseam. You want me to do that tonight? I'm sure you do. Here's my point. Out of the predominant of what we're being taught right now, what is the, uh, where do you see anywhere in this predominant theological position taught to the church today, an appointed time or covenant perspective at all? Other than lip service. That started to freak me out, and I'm starting to go, I'm seeing it all over Scripture, yet I'm not seeing it all over our theological seminaries. Spirit and truth. We all know that. Write that one down. This is big. We need to seriously understand he's desiring this position from us. So what is Israel? This will depend on your biblical lens. Here's your choice. You sit in one of these three camps. We're not going to break them all down. But whether you know it or not, you're in one of these three. There's replacement theology, separatist theology, or covenant theology. The line is a little bit blurred between all of them. And there's a good and bad and ugly in all of them. One thing I know, God can break through and reach the heart of an individual regardless of which camp they sit in. Thank God. A circumcision of the heart can occur regardless of our theological positions being correct. Here's the thing. They are so vastly different one from another, they cannot all three be right. Here is 67% of what you call the body of Christ. If you're a numbers person, you'll be happy with that camp generally Catholicism, Orthodoxy, as we understand it. This one, though, how often leads to anti-Semitism, anti-Jewish behavior. In other words, it doesn't matter. Separatist theology. This is dispensational. This is the camp I was in. It came in reading the church a couple hundred years ago through a man named Nelson Darby. But this one created and started to branch out a vast number of denominations. Out of 30,000 plus denominations, the majority of them, guess what, sit in which camp? Does that strike you? Does that make you feel comfortable? This one's lashing the body of Christ. This is about 3%. And this one's sitting at around 20%. This is what you would think of as your modern-day evangelical, Pentecostal, charismatic, sort of all of these, and all the various flavors thereof, and actually most of the cults as well uh, sit in there. This is interesting because there's still a lot of truth in here and there's still a lot of truth in there and I certainly believe there's a lot of truth in here. Yet I could go into here and I can give you some of the ugly stuff in here too. All three of these can lead you to a place of bondage and legalism. What is surprising for many dispensationalists to realize that one of the biggest breeders of anti-Semitism on the face of the earth is actually dispensational theology. and they don't know they're being used to do it. All agree and understand the house of Israel is divided. All three positions. All agree that the blood allows for his atonement and restoration. Only two believe all of the church is the bride. Interesting. Which two might those be? The replacement theology and the separatists believe that. The covenant-based theologies do not. Only two believe the rapture event and a literal thousand-year reign. What two believe in that? The separatist and the covenant theology. It's interesting. Only one believes his covenant teaching and statues and appointed times are still relevant for us today. And the question would be more how. Which one thinks that? Covenant. Only two believe Israel still matters. Who are they? In covenant. Only one believes we are literally Israel. Who's that? Only one believes in a house that is going to be restored. Who's that? In your spirit, forget about your theology and what you know and what you don't know. Which one in your spirit starts to resonate? Do you believe that the house that has been divided, that is talked about in scripture, that God's plan was for it to be eternally divided? It doesn't make sense to a God I know when every picture he's giving, the two are becoming... So maybe there is something that we have to understand. Who are the lost sheep? But he answered and said to them, only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So this is in the context of, remember the woman? And she's crying out. And she's going, look, you need to do this for my daughter. Da, 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 da. And he's going, look, I've, I've not come. You know, we don't, we don't give the, the children's bread to the dogs. And she goes, but even the dogs? That's pretty harsh talk, isn't it? Like, I don't give this to the, you know, why give the good stuff to the dogs? I mean, he, he's putting her in the classification of a dog. I mean, that's pretty interesting. Here's a problem we have. Do you think he's lying? This is the words of your Messiah. Not I've come for some, a little, a few. Go look at the Greek. It's very real. Right from his mouth. I'd suggest to you, if you are not the house of Israel, you should start to worry. Because if he's the only way in, which we all agreed when we started the session tonight, there is no Greek, no Jew, no... Only one way? Well, the one way is telling you something. One of the most powerful scriptures I know of concerning this subject in all of the Bible. Because it came out of the groom's mouth himself. Twelve tribes birthed in the wilderness in Sinai. Ten tribes became the northern kingdom, fell into spiritual adultery, generally through the tribe of Dan. Guess what tribe is not mentioned in Revelation at the end? Dan, interesting. Interesting. And were eventually scattered to the four corners of the earth. This was talked about in the Abrahamic prophecies and covens and visions. Evidence demands a verdict. If anybody hears anybody here, Dr. Stephen M. Collins, yeah, Mark, you have. Yeah, if you get a chance to read or to find these, look at a man who has done a journey on the historical and archaeological evidence of the migration of this thing that the Bible calls the ten tribes that were dispersed. Now there is all sorts of weirdness and Bad doctrine sitting in that camp as well But this is good stuff This man is not being driven by an agenda In fact far from it You'd have to know a little bit about him Do you know in the USA In the USA Ancient Paleo-Hebrew was discovered And is now understood And this archaeological evidence Is not being shared with the world That was before the North American Native Indians In its age How would it get there? Didn't Christopher Columbus discover it? Yeah. What was written on them? Guess what was written on them? Anybody know? There was a rock found. Ancient Paleo-Hebrew. You would know it as the Ten Commandments. Either the Bible's telling us the truth and modern historians are not. Which one do you want to bet on? I'm going to go with God's Word, eh? Africa. DNA analysis right now being done in one of the major institutions in South Africa is finding the DNA strain that's going right down the coast of Africa that can take you right back to the heart of guess where? Ancient Israel or the land of ancient Israel. It traces it right back. Some of the stuff going on with the Chinese Hebrews is really interesting as well. But And then you get into now what we call the British Isles where we all got a link to. Incredible stuff. Does anybody know in the Scottish Constitution, two thousand twelve something? Sorry, um, um, the twelve hundreds that was still on their Scottish Constitution. Anybody here Scottish? You find this fascinating? Do you know that in that Constitution they're actually referencing the twelve tribes of Israel, and they knew their own forefathers? Where are they getting this stuff from, and how did it get lost? Two tribes became the southern kingdom, Judah and Benjamin. And the Levitical priesthood went with them. They were charged with the scepter and the rulership until the time of Messiah. Because they weren't involved in spiritual adultery. You mean Judah was chosen because of its obedience? Yes. What are we told? The Jews have lost their, because they're, this is interesting. This is what you're taught, but the scripture is not saying this. Physical always foreshadows the spiritual. All God's doing is making a point here. Is it the physical genealogies? Is it all of this stuff that actually matters? If there's no Greek, no Jew, no Gentile, why am I saying this? But there is not one position of truth in scripture. You will not find the physical is pointing to something greater. And he has made those words come alive. He's pointing to something spiritually. We are headed to something called the house of Israel. And if we don't understand the physical foreshadow and typology of it, you might be convinced that you're not something you actually are. That's the reason for all of this. Does anybody know the context that Yeshua gave this in? Do you remember the context of this? It was, remember it was a demon? And they were accusing him of casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub do you remember his, his reaction it's interesting he didn't just deal with that he gave a very interesting answer he knew their thoughts where they were heading and he said unto them every kingdom divided every city shall not what yet we expect under our theology that God has somehow got a system of a divided house that somehow stands Let's be very careful what we're actually adopting here. These are all tricks of the trade. This is Ezekiel. I'll open your graves and raise you up from your graves. Everybody, don't Anybody who doesn't think that there's not a mention of the rapture in the Old Testament, Ezekiel's going to start to prove your own. It's very clear, actually. They're being raised for something. He's going, oh, my people, I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. And I will place your own land, and you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken it, and I will do it. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, take a stick and write on it for Judah and the people of Israel. Why is he separating the two? I thought Jew equals Israel. Actually, scripture is showing you there's now quite a clear distinction going on, and this is a prophecy of the end days. Associated with him and take another stick and write on it for Joseph and the stick of Ephraim and the house of? The house of Israel. And when these people say to you, you, you uh, uh, What do you mean by these? Say to them, Thus saith the Lord, I am about to take the stick of Joseph that is in the hand of Ephraim and the tribes of Israel associated with him and join them to who? Aren't they all the same? This is one of the most amazing and magnificent prophecies in all of Scripture and most prophecy buffs will be heading straight to Ezekiel 38 to talk about the Gog-Magog invasion and out of context. You look at the chapter before and you're seeing one of the most beautiful things there is going down in Scripture. We are living in an incredible time indeed. I'm going to skip through these. Read Ezekiel right through to 28. 37.14 to Ezekiel 28. Beautiful, beautiful scriptures that are saying this. And our prayer from our Messiah in the garden. Now, this is going to be interesting. If there was a great plan to invite all of us back into his restored house, if this was true, if possibly we could just entertain this through our theologies. Now listen to his prayer in the garden. That they may be, that the Father in me, that they are also may be what? One in us. And that the world may believe that they have, Wow, do you mean this will actually even be a witness to the unbeliever? If we get this? And the glory which thou gavest me was given to them that they may be, even as we are, and I in them, and they in me, and that they may be made perfect in one. And that fends off that they would know that you have loved them. Now I want to say something. We can take those scriptures and go, this is how I will show the world that I am one with Christ. And you'll come up with your own way to do that, right? Or we can actually get to know him and find out how he wanted it to be demonstrated to the world and watch the world get to know who he is. Because instead of a witnessing and trying to save that, which we have no business, trying to play God on that level, we would become a witness and they may see the light and the truth in us and want to know who the God was that saved us and invited us to an incredible thing. But we're busy trying to th- cram down our theologies or trying to save people and do all these sorts of things. We're literally sitting on the throne. Now we're doing this with the good intent and I'm guilty, more guilty of anything that I'm speaking of tonight. I promise you. But the promises were grafted in. I'm going to ro- just rocket through these. And then we're going to finish with some questions. This is interesting. Anybody know the book of James, how it opens up? <laughs> You're going to start to find this everywhere. He's addressing the church. Look how he's addressing them. To the twelve tribes in dispersion. I thought this was just a Jewish thing. Ephesians. Remember that you at the time were separated from Messiah, from Christ. Alienated from what? What? The Commonwealth of who Israel? this is Paul laying down the foundations he 's about to reveal the great mystery, and guess where he goes to for the foundations for that we may understand this. Boy, I could just keep going with these i 'm going to skip through so we can get to the questions is Jeremiah, the House of Judah and the House of Israel. When you understand this in prophecy, it becomes quite incredible how the scriptures will open up and paint a very different picture from what we're being taught. Most of the scriptures that you're seeing are also avoided by most of these teachers. Jacob's family tree. Look at this. Oh, Jacob. This is Micah. I will gather what? The remnant of Israel. And in fact, in the actual Hebrew, it's a great multitude and this is how it all ends and we're going to get into the questions here this is what I call the family ties this is revelation the revelation of who? and he had a great and high and had twelve gates and the gates had twelve angels and the names written thereon are the names of twelve children of this is the new Jerusalem this is the home of the bride she's entering in by what? another gate? you've got Four gates to come in and out of this thing Oh, sorry, twelve gates Four directions Where are we gathered? From the four corners of the earth East, north, south, west Every single one of them is representing one of the tribes of Israel This is how this finishes Do you want to be a part of understanding what Israel is Or do you want to reduce it to a small little bit A piece of dirt in the Middle East right now Because if you get convinced on that you might not see what he thinks Israel really is and an internal perspective of this. You can look at these questions. Here's my encouragement to you. What is biblical context? Whenever you're looking at any matters on some of the things I'm raising here tonight, you don't have to agree with me. You're entitled to your opinions. But our opinions don't necessarily equal truth. Not mine, not yours. What matters is his. Let's get into this. If you're looking at scripture, who said it? Don't sit there and have your theological arguments from your Talmud. Look at the word and actually ask yourself, who's saying this right now? What do I know about this? When was it said? Where was it being said? What was actually being said? And why was it being said? If you look for these things in the word Without your preconceived ideas or the teaching of another individual, you will find scripture starts to open up in a very different way because the Holy Spirit's going to jump all over this. And if you do this with other people, you're going to watch the five full gifts of the body start to grow in this ground we call discipleship. And he will raise up all five. And you'll work together in a way that conquered the world without a weapon. The Roman Empire literally ruled with an iron, steedy grip, and they had to, in the end, find a way to shut this down? And then, of course, does it line up with the whole counsel of God? None of us get a chance to just pick and choose out of scriptures. We have to keep contending. If it says something here that we think supports our theological position, let's see what the scripture is saying elsewhere. Because at some point, there's going to be a revelation to find and a gemstone to find as well in all of that truth. So these questions... We're going to break up now um, and just get into our discussion groups. But what I want to share with you, because we're just going to finish up tonight when we come back from our discussion, I'm going to encourage you. We're going to look at something called the marriage covenant. Hopefully after tonight, you might realize or think or believe that actually understanding what Israel is actually gives me a chance to look at this with a different set of eyes. It's the reason why I've labored it a little bit with you tonight hopefully I've made it at least enough sense to get you to go and look at some scriptures and to rechallenge some traditional thinking. But the things I want you to think about in these breakout and discussion sessions, again, like Clay said, this is not about theological arguments. I'm really just raising these questions for you to think about and journey together. Why doesn't the Bible, the actual word, refer to it as a piece of land? Israel. Why doesn't it do that? There's a very interesting answer to this that might come out, because it doesn't. Why do you think Yeshua said, Oh, he's only come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel? Very sobering answer. What do you think the scriptures mean when we're being brought back to the commonwealth of Israel and Paul is using this as the framework to actually reveal the great mystery? How is the Bible pointing to a marriage covenant? These questions together... I believe we'll end up starting a segue to the next weeks ahead that are going to be quite an incredible journey. And you don't have to forfeit your theology along the way. But we do have to understand we're looking at something through a marriage covenant lens. And it's important that at least we understand that together. Right? Okay.